There's a lot of talk right now about the great resignation and the numbers of people leaving the workforce. Regardless of the nuances and complexities of that situation, and whether or not it poses a problem for employers, the topic of keeping junior talent is one that seems particularly relevant right now. In this episode, we discuss. Welcome to the Indigo Podcast, an exploration of human flourishing at work and beyond. I'm Ben Barron of Indigo Anchor and Cleveland State University. And I'm Chris Everett of Indigo Anchor. For more information, please visit us at www.indigopodcast.com. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about junior talent. And when we say junior talent, we don't just mean young whippersnappers. And we'll describe that here in a minute. But we're going to explore why do people stay in their jobs? What might be particularly important for junior talent and implications for junior talent, their leaders, and their organization? So let's start off with this first question. Why do people stay in their jobs? And the first thing I'd like to point our listeners to is a couple of episodes that we did quite a while back. We did actually a two-part episode, uh, actually two separate podcasts on the same topic. And uh, take a look in our show notes and get the links there, uh, which really goes into some of the deeper research and, and items around this whole idea of why people stay, why people quit, and all those types of related items. So check that out. But first of all, let's just kind of recap some of that, because I think it is important. Why do people stay in their jobs? And I think the first thing here is it's not all about the money. Yeah. That now, now that we have a lot of people working from home and they're like, no, I don't want to go back to the office. They're like, hey, listen, what can I do? I hate my job, but I get to do laundry during the day. <laughs> right. <laughs> so it's it's not all about the cash. And but for some people, it is. Sure. Right? And we deal with managers all the time. They're super financially motivated. And they're like, wait a minute, I offered you twenty thousand extra dollars to stay. And they totally miss out on that individual's motivation. Right. At some point, it becomes an existential question about what am I doing with my life? You can throw cash at people all day long, and uh, at some point, they may just kind of want something else, right? So it's not all about the money. That's not really the, really the right way to be thinking about retention necessarily. Uh, now, you do need to pay enough so people aren't thinking about money all the time. Pay at market rate. Uh, but what, what we oftentimes find, what the research really suggests here is that some other items, what we call job design, the work environment, those are, are really important things, you know, things like work satisfaction, things like the scope of your job, what kinds of responsibilities do you have, what kinds of autonomy do you have in making decisions, promotion opportunities, that's a big one, and it's certainly a big one, as we'll talk about here in this episode for junior talent, communication patterns, participation in decision-making, those are important pieces that kind of create this psychological environment in which we work and make us more or less likely to want to start looking for other jobs. Right. A lot of people have that experience where everything's perfect. They love the people they work with. They love what they're doing. They love their boss. Their boss takes another job. Mm. And then quickly their company gets acquired. And even though 80% is probably still the same, it's enough to, you know, break the balance of what made you feel fulfilled. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that goes into it. Um, 
I know a friend that says, you know, the thing I like about my job is most is they have free daycare. <laughs> Do you know what a pain it is to drop my kid off somewhere else? Now the word, right? So there's a myriad of factors that sure. people look at. And, and you want to be, you know, don't just focus on, especially the job interviews, right? Don't just focus on money and can you do the job? Right. So another few reasons why people stay in their jobs involve coworker relationships, the teamwork that they experience or don't in their job. Uh, another thing that's really important is employee development. You know, is this a place where I'm going to be able to get the professional development that I need in order to further my career? And if it's not, especially for junior folks, you know, that's going to probably number one, hurt your recruiting efforts. Number two, it's going to hurt your employer brand. And number three, you know, people are going to be uh, probably wanting to look for other work in other organizations if you're not providing that employee development. Another piece that's important is how you onboard and socialize people to make them feel like they're part of the team. Uh, this idea of organizational commitment, right? And this can come in a number of different flavors, right? There are a number of different reasons why you might be have some sort of intention to remain part of the organization. You know, uh, you can feel like you you want to. That's what we call affective organizational commitment. That's what you want. You want people to want to stay around. But it also could be because they feel like they need to or they have to, right? They feel like they need to because of some sort of kind of moral obligation. You know, the place would go under if they weren't around or they just feel like it's so important. Or it's just like, I have to be here because... It's uh, I have no alternatives and the costs of me leaving are just too big. Right. So organizational commitment and job satisfaction, key parts of why people stay in their jobs. Yeah. And, you know, you hear this trope on LinkedIn and it's actually true out of all the untrue things on LinkedIn. It's, it's true is, you know, people don't leave companies. They leave bosses. Mm. Right. You hear that a lot. And yeah. that is one of the factors, your relationship with your supervisor or manager has a big impact and in your day-to-day. -day. I worked a call center job for a while and I'm not super cut out for call center work. I, you know, I do it fine. Shocking. I, I know <laughs> somebody talks on a podcast. I should be able to talk all day on the phone. Right. But I, I did a consumer sales for Dell. Right. And, and it was fine. But the thing that made it bearable was this guy, David Nix was just a hoot of a manager. Right. It, it is factory work. You cannot put on hold. You have to talk all day. And after some months that that gets tiring. But, you know, he really made that, you know, bearable for me. Right. Right. Well, and what's interesting, too, is that not only can managers and supervisors make the work environment bearable for us or make it more enjoyable, they also become this window through which we view the rest of the organization, you know, they they are in our minds kind of an agent of the organization. So if that person's being great to you, then you know, hey, Dell Computers is actually being all right to me. We kind of anthropomorphize the organization and attribute these these different characteristics from that manager to the organization overall. It's kind of an interesting process. And I think if if any of us think hard enough about our own work relationships with supervisors and so forth, you probably can can kind of see that in in your own experiences. Uh, now, if your supervisor is someone who is not reflecting, uh, you know, those types of, of good characteristics, then you know what? You're probably going to start thinking, not only is it that I don't like that manager, I don't like that organization. And then I'm going to start thinking about, you know, what am I doing here? 
maybe I should start looking around. Maybe I should start brushing up that LinkedIn profile and maybe I should start seeing what else is out there. Uh, so relationships with supervisors, absolutely critical. Another thing that's important and it's related to good relationships with your supervisor is having good role clarity. Figuring out, like knowing what right looks like and knowing what your job actually is, is important because it helps us understand whether or not we're meeting the expectations of the people around us. Most of us want, I would presume, and I think this is fairly accurate, we want at the end of the day to be thinking that, you know what, I am I am a valued piece of this organization. I did my job. I, you know, even if I'm a cog in the wheel, I'm a good cog in the wheel. And you know what? I feel a little bit of of satisfaction around that. Yeah. Role confusion also creates conflict. Yeah. And nobody likes to go into a work environment like, oh boy, what's what's the conflict today? Right. So if you provide that role clarity and reduce role confusion, people can feel better about what they're doing. And that that leads to the next one, which is culture and climate. Mm-hmm. You know, this impacts so much. So, you know, we talked about bad managers and stuff. If you have a culture and climate that tolerates bad leadership, well, that impacts everything downstream all over the place, right? right. And, you know, curating, I love that word, curating, because different cultures and different climates need to exist in, you know, different environments, different organizations. It needs to be, you know, bespoke to your place and and industry and those kinds of norms, you know. But having a, being deliberate and not accidental about your culture and climate is super important for people staying around. Yeah, and you know, one piece of that culture is the feedback culture, right? In terms of understanding how you're doing with your work. We want to, again, going back to that idea that we want to know if we're doing a good job. We want to know if what we're doing makes a difference to something bigger than just us. Uh, you know, we already mentioned pay, and and I think the important piece to take away here is it's important, but it needs to be at at market value. Needs to be fair. Really, you want to pay people enough so they're not thinking about money all the time. And if you can do that, and then you know, if you're able, depending on kind of the structure of your organization, what the people do, your industry, if you're able to give bonuses, all that kind of stuff, that stuff can be important. Um, but another piece that's really important when considering why people stay in their jobs is this interesting idea called job embeddedness. And this kind of is like how embedded is the person's role, their job, and them personally in kind of the broader community, right? So, you know, Chris and I, you know, you you know me pretty well, and you've been around, you know, my, my circle Uh You'd probably, I think you'd probably have a good idea of how embedded I am in in terms of my geographic location and where I am, right? There's not an explosive strong enough (laughs) to blast you out of Hudson, Ohio. (laughs) And listen, I don't blame you because every time I come down there and hang out with your community or friends, I'm like, I start Zillow creeping houses in your neighborhood. Right. And, and of course, they'd have to be walking or bicycling to the pub down there in, in the town. But but Hudson, Ohio is amazing. Don't move there. Um, it's too cool for us mere plebs. <laughs> right. But going. But, OK, so it is a cool little town. But the, the going back to this idea of job embeddedness. Right. So relating this to the workforce, I'm very unlikely to leave the employment that keeps me in this area because 
I have, I, I'm connected in this community. I have a, a strong connections through my church and through the Cleveland very, Foundation. Yeah, yeah so the, the nonprofit that I work with. I have, you know, a lot, of, a lot of friends and kind of social connections. My kids go to school here. It would, it, there's a lot of kind of tentacles that extend from my, my existence out into the community that would be very hard to uproot. Right. So that's just an interesting to think to think about, because it is a reason why people stay in their jobs. Uh, it's a little bit tricky when you think about how can an, an employer influence that. But some employers do. Right. They try to get people engaged in the community. They do uh, volunteer work. Right. They try to help people get to know each other, those types of things. Maybe they have partnerships with various nonprofits that they work with uh, to help foster those connections. And that's that's kind of a. I guess, a retention reason why they do that stuff. Okay, so we've we've talked about all these reasons why people stay in their jobs. And all of these, I think, are, are reasons why people stay in their jobs, regardless of who they are, right? These are brand new to the organization or if they've been there for a really long time. So it's kind of general advice. It's generally great stuff. You not, can't screw up by doing the stuff we just talked about in terms of helping people stay in their jobs. But let's move now to talk about what, what might be particularly important for junior talent, right? Well, that's this whole, the, the whole thing we're talking about here is keeping junior talent. So of course you want to think about all those things that we just talked about in terms of why people stay in their jobs, but what, you know, let's talk about what might be particularly important for junior talent. What's interesting about junior talent is, um, well, let's define it first off. So for this episode, we're going to define it as not just young people and not just people that are, because I think of junior talent as like junior in their skill at that job in that industry. Right. So if you have a, a, a school teacher that now wants to work in corporate learning and development and they're taking an entry level role in that org, then they're junior. Right. right, but for the purpose of this episode, we're gonna we're specifically focusing on the high potential members of the organizations for at the earliest stages of the career. This yeah. is that new person that you're like, oh my gosh, I see VP written all over yeah. this person's future. And, and these are these are really valuable people to any organization, and they're really valuable for a handful of reasons. One being that we just define them by definition; these are talent. This is these are high potential folks. They have a high level of uh, performance, a high level of potential. They are doing great things for your organization. The other piece is that they are junior, right? So they are at a stage in their career, in their skill level, uh, or wherever they are, that is um, means that they have a lot of runway left <laughs> in their career usually. Uh, they have uh, the room and kind of the uh, maybe the time if they happen to be younger as well to be with your organization potentially for a long time. And what's really great about that, if you look at it from the employer's perspective, is if this is a person who's really performing well and, you know, I and they're earlier in their stage of their their career or their and or their life, well, if I keep this person around, this person might be someone who could potentially help lead this organization. I see a lot of long-term potential in this person and I'm going to help ensure the legacy of what I'm trying to build here as the CEO, right? If you could see it from that perspective. And that's why these folks are so important. And yet at the same time, you know, organizations oftentimes, we'll talk about this more, they oftentimes screw this up 
and they, they attract these folks, they don't do a good job of retaining them. So we've talked about all these different factors about, you know, different reasons why people stay in their jobs. Again, the, a lot of those apply regardless of age or level. Uh, but let's consider maybe why these junior folks, this junior talent pool might be a little bit different. Yeah, so they have the same important things that they think about when staying in their job. Don't have a numbskull boss, right? Yeah. Have a good culture and climate. They want all that things. And anytime you see our friend Court Rudolph, we did an excellent episode on millennials and how that's a bunch of baloney. Take the look at millennials want this in the work and read that <laughs> list and say, I defy you to find somebody that also doesn't want those things, <laughs> right? They're good things. And avocado toast is awesome. And not every millennial likes avocado toast, by the way. But when you're young, there might be a few factors. Like you might be sure. more willing to move. You know, hey, I don't want to be down on the farm anymore. I'm going to LA or something, right? Mm -hmm. Um. They might want to go to a place with a larger dating pool, you know, <laughs> if they're younger, right? Yeah. I, you know, I met a few people who said, so why'd you move to Nashville? Well, honestly, I saw everybody I went to high school is the only dating pool in my town. And I already dated the ones I was interested in and they weren't it. Yeah. So, well, so and, move and, to that and, bigger place. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it might not just be the organization uh, from that perspective, but it might be the, the broader city. Right. So, um, you know, if I were younger and, uh, and single, like, yeah, move to DC, <laughs> move to Nashville. Right. So those types of places, another thing that might be, um, you know, other types of factors that might be different for you. If you are in an earlier stage in your career, perhaps this is even more important. If you are also younger is, you know, things like healthcare, right. You're, you're not as concerned about, the massive healthcare package that your uh, employer might offer if you don't have a family. Now, once you do have a family, and if you are, if if your healthcare, your organization is what covers your family, wow, you 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 are probably going to really be thinking about that and really value that. So, I think it's important to remember that the the weighting of these factors, you know, these all these different reasons why a person stays in their job. They're probably all applicable regardless of who the person is, but the weighting of them may shift a little bit as a person goes through their life, as they go through the employee life cycle. Right. And, you know, we talked about being tied to a place. Actually, a lot of the things, it was one, of, I think it was U-Haul or somebody, one of these moving companies published data, and you see a lot of this stuff. People are wanting to live in a good community. Sure. And they're weighing that. And so lots of times you'll see, you know, we had this big get together for after the day of service. Mm -hmm. And Ben, I can't believe how many people said, yeah, I got out of here when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. But once I started having a family, I came back. Yeah. Right. Because it's different. But here's the thing. Junior talent has less encumbrances to them moving. And that's been the pariah of many of the HR, HR recruiting team of, hey, we need junior talent. They stay here for a year and leave. And right. so you might want to manage junior talent, not as, all right, get to work. See me in five years when you was something, okay? <laughs> you know, like you can't do that. Well, you shouldn't do that with any employee, you know, but you really can't do it with people that are picking up vital skills, especially in this economy where there's a bunch of job openings. They'll leave you. 
so fast. You'll be, where, yeah. where's he at? And what what do we say in the South? He gone. Yeah. <laughs> he gone. You know, one reason that people stay in their jobs, and I mentioned this earlier, is that they don't have alternatives elsewhere. It's something that in the world of organizational psychology, we call continuance commitment. It's when you don't have a whole lot of alternatives or that you have this perceived sacrifice if you do leave. Now, here's the thing. With junior talent, as an employer, you should assume that these people have options. They have options. They are talent, right? And so they have the the skills. They have desirable um, different uh, abilities that that organizations want. And if they have a, a little bit more of a proclivity to uh, uprooting themselves if they need to move, or you know, as we've talked about on this podcast, you know, that's becoming in certain instances less of a barrier anyway because a lot of people doing remote work, right? Assume that your your junior talent do have options. Uh, consider them as, you know, kind of have like a volunteer mindset, right? How do you keep a volunteer engaged? I, I know you're paying them. I, I get it, right? And they they should just want to come for their paycheck. Well, that's not going to that's not going to Everybody gonna... <laughs> else will pay them. That's they will. not right. a differentiator for talent. <laughs> High potentials like yeah. I, what I pay you. I know everybody pays me. What yeah. so what's interesting here? And this is the thing. They got to see a way forward for themselves. Mm-hmm. Right? Career path is critical. People wait too long. It's like, well, after your third year, you have the chance to go to one, maybe two, two-hour leadership sessions in a year. That's not a <laughs> leadership or potential development pathway. That's yeah. not. And I get it. A lot of these organizations we deal with, and a lot of the organizations that are out there that I have friends in leadership and development offices and corporate education, they don't spend the time on it. But the ones that do end up snagging people. You know, they, oh, that you have a program for junior talent where I will get to spend three to six months in each main branch or part of this business, right? Customer facing, supply chain, you know, warehousing. And then at the end of that, I can pick where I want to go. That is so attractive to somebody that's like, hey, listen, I know I'm smart. I know I'm hard charging. I'm not sure where I'm going to fit, which would turn off some employers. What do you mean? You're, you know, you're 22. You don't have your whole life planned out for you. Like, no, but if they're wicked smart and wicked motivated, having that kind of program. Yeah. Let's them see a place for themselves. So I would take it even a step further, right? So you talked to, you were talking a lot about leaders, leader development. You were talking about high potential development, which is all fantastic. Uh, Rotational programs where people take, you know, different um, jobs within the organization, kind of different business functions to get an idea of what the place see, look, you know, what the place does from different perspectives. That's all fantastic. Another piece of this is what we call career pathing, right? So you think of talent management, right? And this is me. I'm, I, I know I'm hopelessly biased here because this is kind of my perspective on organizations. I'm, I do this kind of work, right? <laughs> but talent management is so important. How do we manage talent? You know, these these high potential folks. From, the, from getting them in the door all the way through the employee life cycle. And there are a handful of activities that fall under this talent management umbrella. Uh, things like leader development, things like performance management. And one piece of it that one could argue is potentially the cornerstone of a good talent management program is developing good career paths. Now, <laughs> developing good career paths is awesome because 
you can tell someone coming in, this is where you might go, right? And then maybe there's a handful of options. It doesn't have to be a, a one, uh, you know, a single career path. Uh, it could have some branches here or there. Um, but it, it's very helpful because it gives that person that mental picture of, you know, in two to four years, I could possibly be here um, or, you know, pick your own uh, numbers there. Uh, and of course, one prerequisite here is that you have to have a large enough organization. You can, it's kind of hard to have career paths built for everybody if you have a 100-person organization, uh, just because there might not be you know, room for people to move around. I want to push back on that a bit, Ben, because, and I forget the name of the book, um, th this isn't my idea, but I, I've stolen it with impudence. Sometimes in the smaller organizations, you have something, say like a paralegal or something, and you just need basic work for that person to do, or it's just a niche. There is no career pathing. You can still hire for that kind of role and say, listen, you're going to come here. You're going to learn this skill, this skill, and this skill. And after you've done a two-year stint here, that's about average for us or something, we will write you the best letter of recommendation and help you. Sure. So it's the idea. Yeah, of I mean, I didn't, but, but yeah, so that, that's, but that's still not an internal career path. Right. But that's I think, not it, an end, but it's, it's saying like, sometimes your career path is within the organization yeah. and, and also designing career path through the organization. And so, yeah, I think that's a brilliant point because a lot of, I think many organizations, many executives um, or leaders in a, even in a smaller organization, they are unwilling to accept the fact that sometimes their junior talent may be coming there for a dead end, right? That there isn't enough room for them to go anywhere. Um, and that may be true, actually. And and you can't do nothing true, about right. it, right? And if that is the case, then probably the best thing is to be realistic about it, uh, still make it an awesome experience while they're there and say, look, we know you're going to be here probably for about, you know, if you want to continue to, you know, develop and so forth be here for two to five years. Here's what's going to happen. Like once your skills levels get to a certain point, if there's nowhere for you here, we will help you. As you mentioned, Chris, we will help you get a great job somewhere else and you'll be an amazing part of our alumni network or something like that, right? Um, and that's a, a really interesting approach that I think organizations could consider when thinking about junior town, especially if they don't have that option for making internal career paths. Um, so, you know, sometimes you might just need to accept a certain level of turnover for junior talent. That, that And that's just how it is everywhere. Yeah. And, and so, but it gives you a purpose. Hey, I'm a junior talent. I don't know anything. I'm, I'm super motivated. I'm going to go take this role. And part of my role is they're going to train me to leave. Mm -hmm. And so this becomes like another like college 2.0 with work experience, right? Like those kinds of things can get people pumped and it's good for your brand. This is almost an implication here. Like it's good for your brand. When you have an alumni network, maybe they even have a Facebook group or a private forum that only, you know, they can network with each other out in the community. And then if you need to reach out as an employer, hey, I need to talk to my junior squad, right? Who knows somebody that's this? Or, hey, we have this mid-senior role. Do any of you guys want to come back? Yep. And and your name in that town and in the community and in you know wherever those people go work is going to be amazing. And that's a much better approach than you know having somebody leave and then being angry about it and kind of 
not talking to them ever again, right? You don't want to do that. You know, the, the only organizations that I really know of that kind of do this alumni network thing for people that leave the organization are actually some of the big consulting firms. Um, they, they tend to do this. And, you know, it's like, hey, you want, we're going to part, part ways. All right. Uh, you know, you're part of our alumni network. And sometimes they do actually bring those people back either for, for various types of roles if needed. So it's a great idea. So why don't we move now uh, and talk more about some implications for the junior talent uh, folks themselves, as well as their leaders and their organizations. So in terms of keeping junior talent and what junior talent should, themselves should be thinking about, let's start there. Right. So if you're in an org that stinks at this stuff, <laughs> look to move somewhere else, right? <laughs> if, if there's no development or no, hey, we're going to send you on your merry way, you might you might need to bounce. Or if you need to, hey, those student loan payments are coming due and you need to keep that cash flow flowing, look for other places to develop your chops. That could be join the military. You know, I recommend people all the time join the Navy Reserves, the National Guard. I'm glad you of... got the you got those in the correct order. Yeah. So go to the Navy Reserve first. If you can't hack it there and they won't let you in, then then go <laughs> then then go to the Army National Guard because they'll they'll take you in a hot second. He's probably not lying, but that's because I'm <laughs> jaded at year 15 in my guard career. But no, the guard's fine. Find out where there's a unit or something. Also, volunteer. Yeah. You know, there's all these volunteer organizations that lack the leadership and stuff. And if you're a half-baked leader, guess what? You'll get in that bat. And maybe through the trial and the lab of life, you'll become a fully baked leader and not stink so much back in your workplace. But regardless, building that, look for those other opportunities. And, the, and this is a painful one. Um, if there's not, you know, and I've got this guy I'm coaching on this, who's like a very junior soldier way back in the day of hey there's just not any jobs in his town mm. he could do some manufacturing that's it he got he did get an it job right oh. and and which is awesome but he can't advance at all and i said listen you're gonna be stuck here and this town is kind of dying by the way so if you mm. buy a house and get all set up yet the your real estate property values aren't going to go up and and I know this is a really fraught issue for us as a society, but let society have that conversation while you plan out what's best for your life and your family. And and this is, I think this was Dr. Dre's advice to Eminem. Do you know, have I told you the story, Ben? I think you have, yeah. Yeah. I, I only have a few stories and like any dad, I wear them out. Um, <laughs> it, you know, Eminem was blowing up and he had all his buddies. And this is how it was told to me. Maybe this is just mythology, but it's true. I think, you know, he, he made it big and then he wanted to bring, well, his first album was doing really well and he wanted to bring all his friends. And then Dr. Dre said, Hey, listen, you got to build your house first before you can invite your friends, right? Invite those other people. So I would encourage young talent to look at the structural piece. And I know this is fraught, but like, Unless you're going to dedicate yourself to like municipal government in your small town and try to do it, you may not even be able to do enough in that small town. The structural forces may eat your lunch. You got to make sure that wherever you land is fertile soil for you to grow. Right. If there's no jobs, you, there's no job to have. 
there's no growth. There's no, you know, you can't win that fight most likely. And don't bet against the house on those things. Yeah, yeah. You know, one thing to definitely keep in mind is, you know, the power of luggage, meaning the power of moving if you need to, uh, to go somewhere where you can flourish. Another thing that I would suggest for junior talent, and I think looking back in my own career and um, I think thinking about other people who are in similar situations, it really makes sense. Is, and It's hard, but I think sometimes you just have to be patient. You have to be a little bit patient. I get it, especially if you are if you have talent and you really and you know it and you can you know are, are doing good work you feel like you should be getting promoted you're it bothers you that other people are in charge of you and they don't seem to know what they're doing well first of all that's an arrogant type of approach and they probably know more than you think they do they probably have some insights that you don't have they might so, not they could they be might. dummies they could but, could be but, but be I, pragmatic I, I, in making yeah. that assessment right exactly <laughs> so i think sometimes you have to just pay your dues sometimes you do have to just be patient and be patient with yourself um now that doesn't mean to accept a dead end if you really want to accelerate your career but that is a consideration you have to take yeah so why are you paying your dues if you really want a hard charge and Ben Ben's about to amen me out the door, start writing, <laughs> work on your writing chops. Now Ben's writing chops are mine. Aren't horrible, but next to Ben's they are right. <laughs> but focus on your writing chops, your communication skills, public speaking, all that volunteer stuff is your opportunity to develop while you're just grinding out your time in the, in the trenches of an org somewhere. Yeah. And you know, I, I tell this to uh, MBA students a lot, you know, or former MBA students who come back and ask me questions and stuff. They, they, they say, you know, it just feels like I'm just, you know, tread water here. And I've been here, I've been here for a year and I haven't been promoted. I'm like, wait a second. So first of all, it's, <laughs> a, it's, it's a year, right? So, so just be patient a little bit. But then I also say is, Hey, Regardless of whether or not you feel like people are watching, continue to always do your best. Do your best work. Don't relax in terms of your own standards because sooner or later, and usually it's later than it should be in our own interpretation, someone will notice, right? It may not be a person in your organization. It might be somebody on that the board of that volunteer organization that you are working on, and they may come to you and say, hey, you considered this, right? It might be someone else who becomes a mentor for you. But always do your best because you never know who's watching. And even if no one is watching, you should also just have the personal satisfaction from doing your doing your job and doing your best at it. Yeah. And so let's say I had a role, right? Maybe I had five roles that I could put somebody with that's one a lot. year. I, I mean, that's a little early in the calendar year to be giving up on those New Year's resolutions and be having all those roles. Well, I know. <laughs> I'm 12 days into this. <laughs> Get rid of my COVID. Are they sourdough problem. rolls? Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, you, so that, you... at this point, they're sourdough <laughs> rolls for me. Sourdough <laughs> rolls I can't eat. <laughs> so so many different uh, job roles. Okay, get you. Right. So, yeah. and somebody kind of was like, man, I just, it's been a year. I haven't been promoted. You know, I'm going to, first thing that I'm going to ask, I'm like, okay, tell me what you've been reading in the last year. Mm. Ooh. Well, you know, how have you been developing yourself in the last year while you've been stymied? Because you know what? I want leaders that are looking for opportunity in barren lands, right? At every piece of my org. And if you're just like, I don't know, I thought I'd just, you know, get, you know, a bump and everything. What the? Here's one. Let's say you have your three years. You are ready. 
right? Maybe. Here's a question I ask, like, why, why do you want this management role? Mm-hmm. And I get the worst answers to those questions. I don't know. I want to make more money is what it comes down to. Not right. well, you know, I have developed these kinds of skills and, you know, no offense to my current manager or, you know, alongside my current manager, I think I could offer these things in these leadership pieces, right? Like until you're ready to start having those more mature conversations, you need to keep developing yourself. And it's a great time. I'm going to get stoned for this in the emails. It's a great time to get out there and date. Because <laughs> once you start taking those management roles, you know, senior manager, director, you know, get into those executives. Yeah. Where's your free time? It's gone. Treasure this time. Because if you don't develop yourself as a junior talent at this point, your velocity for development is going to be diminished later. Life might write you a check that your experience bank and knowledge bank can't cash mm-hmm. insufficient funds. And you don't want to be that person because you may get fired and not get another at bat at that, at that executive role. That's right. That's right. So, you know, I think, uh, I think that those are some important points for junior talent themselves. Why don't we move now to talk a little bit about some implications for leaders, uh, you know, in terms of how you can keep, the uh the the people who you really want to keep as part of your organization and potentially be the leaders for the organization in the future. Yeah, I see a lot of leaders just say, "Well, I told them what to do. Now I'm over here doing all the meetings that this crazy yeah. org has me in." They also you oftentimes can... say that again, you know, we pay them, they should be happy enough that we could pay them. <laughs> yeah, and and or they have a one size fits all leadership style. And their team's fracturing and all that kind of stuff, right? That's that's not good for a leader. You need to be engaged with each person on your team. Know who they are, what they enjoy, what motivates them, what they don't like about work in your org. You know, just all the things. And what do we say all the time, Ben? You can't fake this stuff. You got to really, really get to know the people on your team. Absolutely. You know, because that'll do a handful of things. One, it'll help you understand where they're coming from. It'll help you understand how they make decisions. It will also help to build this sense for them that you care about their well-being, right? Especially if you actually do, right? You can't fake this stuff. And uh, when you when people have this perception that you care about their well-being and that you value what they do, that's when, you know, their perception of support really goes up and that does a lot of great things. It's going to make them want to stick around. Another piece that I would really encourage any leader to do if they want to retain that junior talent is to become an active part of onboarding, right? right? And even onboarding and beyond what we call newcomer socialization. When a, a, a person comes to your organization and kind of goes through that transition of being an outsider to being an insider, So, you know, especially in larger organizations, they have these formalized onboarding programs and there may be opportunities for you as the as the hiring manager to insert yourself in different ways. I would say just really understand what that process is, uh, what what the organization is doing for folks in that onboarding process, and then realize that it doesn't stop when kind of the formal piece ends and really start to, you know, continue to, to do those regular check ins. Um, you know, both immediately and for the long term, 
uh, talk about professional development, talk about career path considerations with the people who, for whom that's a, an important item. Yeah. And, and like, if somebody's onboarded, don't keep them there a whole day. If you only got a half day of stuff for them. Right. <laughs> right. I, Ben, you've probably experienced this in like some like new org or something. You're like, you're kind of there. And then you're like, hey, what's that guy doing? Oh, he's new. He's going to stare at his cubicle for maybe like 20 minutes because he doesn't even have his log on. And it's like, what are you doing? Well, I got an hour till my next thing. Like mm. nobody likes that awkwardness of I don't know anybody and they only half have an onboarding plan ready for me. So yeah. you get home to your spouse and like, hey, honey, how was the first day at the new job? I don't know. I stared <laughs> at the wall for half the day. You know. Well, and and the thing is, is let's say you know you let's say you're an organization that really takes this seriously, really wants to recruit and retain junior talent. Um, nothing could be worse. Well, I, some things could be worse, but one really bad thing is if those people show up. You hire them, right? You recruit them. You go through all that work, recruit them. You hire them. They show up, and then they're disappointed. You know, because you didn't give them a realistic preview or you just do a bad job of managing those first few hours, days, weeks, months, and they start to become disillusioned very quickly. And that's when they're going to start looking to move, right? Even that early on. So you've got to get them and keep them engaged early. You know, I was, I was, um, I, there was a case study that I came across, or maybe it was just a talk by, some senior HR exec. I don't remember where this woman was from. She may have been, it might've been IBM. I'm not sure, but regardless, maybe GE, who knows? Big organization, senior v VP of uh, HR. And she was talking about this onboarding process and the employee experience that people were having as they're going through it. And she said, one thing we realized is that it was taking a really long time for people to get their ID badges. And it was this really awful thing because then they couldn't do anything and they didn't feel like part of a team. And so they, they, they really dug in and it was actually a really massive thing that they had to do, but they figured out a way to get them their ID. They, they said, okay, take a picture on your phone, upload it here, do this thing. It goes to it, it goes to security, blah, blah, blah. Then you get your, your badge. Right. And so then it just became this more seamless experience where the employee felt valued and felt like part of the team very early on. Yeah. And so if you're just an individual leader, I mean, kudos to those guys that that's mm. the exception, not sadly, not the norm. Right. Nobody's, whose um, rating schema for their end of the year review is had, you know, zero downtime in newcomer onboarding. That would be a good one for somebody <laughs> to have, but I I've never seen it, but if you're a leader, you can't rely because these orgs just don't do it. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to be judged on your output at, as a leader and, you know, recruiting and retaining top talent is something you got to do. Cause if you have a lot of turnover on your team, you don't look like a good manager. Don't rely on the systems that your org has. You know, add that human touch. Supplement what your org's doing. Maybe get that badge for your new employee. Give them your cell phone so like, hey, man, if things are stinking, just shoot me a text. I'll, I'll be right there. You know, I want you to have an awesome onboarding. Maybe debrief the individual teammate. Okay, what did, we, what did I do good? What did I not? Great. Next guy I'm going to make sure is money when they onboard on my team. Don't, you don't, that's that leadership piece. What books have you read in the last year? How are you developing? If you're a leader, don't wait on your org to do it. Take ownership and, and start rocking it. Yeah. And another thing to remember is that your organization might not have good programs for dealing with junior talent. 
guess what? Many organizations don't have good programs for dealing with junior talent or talent in general. But that doesn't mean that you as a leader can need to necessarily throw your hands up and say, we can't do anything. I, I would say, get out there and you know, don't rely on uh, the systems that your organization has necessarily. Get in there, add that human touch where, where your organization might be lacking and, uh, and help people feel welcomed and get them in, into the organization's um, cadence of you know, how things work, school them up on the, on the norms, how we get things done around here, and make them feel like part of the team early on and keep that positive momentum going. Now, if you, if you don't know how to develop junior talent, like if you don't know stuff about situational leadership and other things, you're not going to have anything to teach or develop them. You're just going to be like, all right, turn out 20 widgets an hour. Did you turn out 20 widgets an hour today? Good job. See you tomorrow. Right? That's not creating that picture and development piece. If you invest in your junior talent on your team, invest in everybody. This this works. Then they're going to stick around. It's like, you know what? It's a bit of a grind, but I'm learning amazing stuff every month at my job. Mm-hmm. My boss, I just need to sit under this. This boss is so amazing and knows all this cool stuff. I just need to sit under him or her for, you know, two to three years till I learn. Then I'm going to be ready to stretch my wings either in that org or somewhere else. The hard charging talent's going to eat that stuff up. For sure. So leaders out there, when it comes to junior talent, you know, focus on creating those high quality relationships and uh, you know, help them really learn uh, the critical skills they need, have developmental pathways for them, create them if you need to. Uh, and you know, don't just be some sort of passive participant in their life, right? Uh, get out there and, and lean into this whole thing. So let's now talk about some implications for organizations with regard to keeping junior talent. Yeah, so everybody talks about hiring. These poor... Every HR forum that I'm on, it's like, anybody know any recruiters that could join our team looking for recruiters, looking, right? It's brutal out there recruiting talent. So, I mean, that's one way to solve your talent need problem. Another one is just keeping the gosh darn ones you have. (laughs) That's right. So recruiting and hiring is great. You do need to do that and do it well. But it's all for naught if those great people that you're hiring just quit soon after you have them, right? So uh, plan for retention. You know, I think it's it's really important to think that, think about, hey, is this if this is a problem for your organization, and if your organization is, first of all, your organization will probably, if you're a small organization, you'll know that this is a problem if you, like, yeah, we had five people leave recently, right? That's obvious. If you're a larger organization, you should have the people analytics function in place where you're monitoring this type of stuff and seeing how what types of people are you know what kind of voluntary turnover you're having and who those people are because that'll help then target your efforts for what you need to do to keep those people around and this might be an opportunity a a really good time for you as an organization to start thinking about your culture right um how do we make this a place where people actually want to stick around this conversation oftentimes come, comes up when i talk with my uh, hr students about uh, employer brands, right? Uh, the brand that you have as an organization, meaning, you know, why would an employee want to work at your organization and kind of that reputational piece that you have in the broader employment community, right? So to speak. Well, part of this is like, we could just talk about stuff and we could have this great picture that we're painting for everybody. 
The other piece of it, though, is, you know, if that's fake, people are going to show up and they're going to realize that that was just a bunch of baloney. So you have to actually fix the problems, right? And and make this a great place so that when you're saying how amazing it is to work here, it's true. Yeah, it's, I don't know what, I guess just people don't point it out. You know, the imposter syndrome is never a problem if you are who you say you are in the workplace. And that may be like, hey, man, we make hot dogs. So we we take mystery meat, grind it up, and put it in tubes and stick it to now. Did you notice at the grocery store, the amount of buns matches the amount? I don't know if the Geneva Convention had to do that. What Let's does this if- have to do with imposter syndrome? Well, it's it's a thing. It's as a or don't be an imposter, right? right? But but if be honest, so if you're if you're a hot dog company, I don't know the difference between the Oscar Mayer brand or Nathan Hot Dogs brand. What which one would you want to work for? But if you're a hot dog company, you know, just own that. You know, right. hey, this is who we are and what we do, and you know what, we give each other high fives and we take care of each other around here. But I, you know, unless this is true, don't say, and we have segues to move through the hall. Our developers have a foosball table that they can use. We drink beer on the job or, you know, like these kinds of things, if they're not real, you know, you can cut and paste this from somebody else that has a cool culture. It's better if you develop that brand voice organically. Right. You know, if you're a larger organization and you want to have this be a key part of your talent management strategy, right, attracting and retaining junior talent, well, then you're going to need to start to systematize some of these items. You're going to want to standardize them and have some programs around it. And that means you're going to have to invest internally to make this a reality. You're going to need to get some people who know how to do this stuff, and you're going to need to get some people who can pay attention to it and nurture it and really curate it, as Chris likes to say, to make it something that's worthwhile. Otherwise, it will languish. It will probably not be done right in the first place. And then it'll probably just kind of go away and you won't get the effects you you uh, hope to get out of it. Yeah. Well, and this is probably I'm biased towards this because of our background in the military, mine anyway. I don't know if you are, Ben, but having it, everybody, there's not enough talent out there. Well, if your org's strategy is to just ingest a bunch of junior talent, there's more junior talent out there to be had that isn't as hard to recruit because they're not looking for this certain role in this certain job. And if you have strong career pathing and we're going to train and promote you and all, you could just have all this goodness and move them up from through your org. Now that doesn't mean occasionally you don't recruit from outside because it's nice to have some cross pollination of ideas, but an organization that's built off a junior pipeline is awesome. But you have to actually dedicate a piece of your workforce strategy to developing that. That means relationships with local, you know, technical colleges or regular universities or high schools where you are in there sponsoring their baseball team. And like, listen, we're going to buy all your uniforms. We just want a chance to tell your students about what we do. And if, if they graduate high school, that we'd love to have them come by. Um, that means maybe... I know that I did this at a client that I had. We organized uh, days at the office for groups of seniors so they could come see 
and learn about the different functions of this organization, see where they would work if they wanted to come. And then we invited them to fill out an application if they're interested. And we even had the managers that they'd work for right there. Like this, you're going to have to do different things for people that are having their first job. Now we said, hey, junior talent doesn't mean whippersnappers, right? Not necessarily, right? Same, same thing. So I, you know, I've got somebody that I'm coaching right now. I've done this before. That is a school teacher. That's like I'm done with getting beat up by parents, not paid enough, and eaten alive by administration, right? So they're just like done with teaching. Well, you know, reaching out to people that may work other roles. So maybe that's a somebody that's in the military that might transition. You're going to need, it's the same thing as going to those college. You need to go where those people are. Buy them donuts. Um, There may be a career transition office that you can reach out to on a military post and say, hey, I want to talk to people that are getting ready to transition. That You have to carve out a capability and people that know how to do that, speak that language, and knows that population so you can have a meaningful brand offer so that they can like move over there, move over right. to your org. Right. So another thing that I think organizations need to keep in mind is, you know, first of all, junior talent doesn't necessarily mean young talent. It's not just about the age. You know, you may have some folks, if you're trying to re- retain uh, or recruit and retain junior talent, could be people who are just trying to make a job transition, right, uh, from some other industry, some other function. And another thing to keep in mind is, hey, junior talent might be cheaper, um, you know, obviously than hiring somebody with more experience from elsewhere. Uh, but you also have to have those programs, as you mentioned, Chris, to develop them. Uh, so, you know, uh, it's better here to be proactive than reactive when you're trying to respond to this type of stuff. Yeah, somebody that, let's say you have a teacher that's taught for 15 years. So what are they, like 37 at that point? They may be ready to go make, matter of fact, a junior, sadly, a junior salary may be more than what they made as a teacher, right? But if you're okay with bringing them in and talking to them about resiliency, hey, are you okay with reporting to somebody younger than you? Those kinds of things. Um, You can have somebody that knows how to show up to work, right time, right place, right uniform, that might not call out sick because they're on a bender with their former college buddies the last couple of nights or something, right? So looking for those opportunities and be specific in your job, you know, applications. Not, you know, when you write like an entry-level role or something, people read these job descriptions. Poorly written job descriptions are horrible. They say your organization's probably not worth top talent's time. But one thing you can put is like, career transitioners welcome and you can start gathering those kinds of things and talk hey if you're a career transitioner let let me tell you about our onboarding program just like the junior talent you're welcome to get here and those people after they learn some of that they could jump up a few ranks or steps within your org exactly so one thing that we mentioned earlier that i think uh is important and i just want to kind of um, beat this drum again is that if your organization is one in which you can't provide much internal mobility for junior talent, then just be upfront about that and help set them up for success elsewhere. You know, create that strong and ideally proud alumni network for people uh, so that you can continue to bring people in, set them up for success. 
um, benefit from them while they're there, and then even potentially after they leave uh, through reputation, through potentially bringing them back in case they you may have an opening later on, uh, helping them kind of extend your goodwill out into uh, the world. Yeah, and you know, look at your business case for your turnover. You know, do those quality exit interviews and find out why your junior talent's leaving or your career transitioner talent is leaving. And there's a cost to recruitment costs, replacement costs, downtime, any of those things. Carve out some of that budget for these retention activities. And one of those is just funding your learning and development team, you know, so that they... People can have something to do that's more than just the grind that they can look forward to, that they're they're part of. You're already spending money on the turnover. Better to spend money on the development and the retention. And when you do that, you're going to increase that probability of keeping junior talent. So today we've talked about why people stay in their jobs. We've talked about what might be particularly important for junior talent. And of course, we talked about some implications for junior talent, their leaders, and their organizations. Thanks for listening to the Indigo Podcast. If you like this podcast, please consider helping us by rating us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, telling your friends about us, having us on your podcast, or mentioning us on social media. Our website is www.indigopodcast.com, where you can access more information about us and this episode. Thanks again, and we look forward to talking with you again soon.